0: Welcome to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. We're your hosts, Mike Rapici and Barry Falk.
1: Hello and happy new year, Dr. Rapici. How are you doing? Uh happy new year, Barry.
0: I'm doing well. How are you?
1: I am doing uh fine. Happy New Year to our um to our followers on podcast on podcasts, uh followers of this podcast. Uh we're we're back again in the new year, 2024, to I guess in a way we're continuing the the new thread of the new season and we're thinking about technology and its relation to affect we're thinking about technology and the ways it uh, <clears throat> the ways it correlates or relates to emotion mm-hmm. affects relationships uh we just finished talking about kazuishi gurus you know, clara and the sun and we talked about the arti- the representation of an artificial friend in that book um, and what that representation or what Ishiguru was trying to tell us about the possibilities of robots being our AFs, our uh, artificial friends and the ways in which robots uh, and technology in general uh, is sort of rewiring to keep the metaphor going our emotional life. And I guess we're in the same, even though we're not gonna be talking about Kazuo Ishiguro, uh, we're kind of in that same groove thing again. Do you wanna mention who we're reading? And then I'll I'll, I'll start us off and, and yeah.
0: talk about a couple of things. So uh, we are today gonna to be talking about uh, Sherry Turkle's book, uh, Alone Together. And this was uh, 2011. Um, so uh, Ms. Turkle has written, or she is from MIT. And uh, writes really a lot about the interaction of technology and our—I don't know how you would say—like our lived experience, the effects the technologies have on us, and the ways that we uh, engage interpersonally. A great, great with, with, with uh, I get I guess with with technological interfaces, and and we chose this um, largely because it is older at this point. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when, 2010? when this was, 2011. 11? Um, and so you know, at this point, we have the smartphone, but we still have MySpace. Um, so social media is a thing, but it's still a nascent thing that's sort of finding its feet. Um, the you know, she's concerned with things like Second Life was something that she right. wrote about. Right. So. The technologies are different and in some ways, which is funny if you you know, it's 13 years ago, but in some ways, a lot of this stuff sort of feels almost antiquated, but at the same time, um, I, I think it's still certainly she the, the beauty of reading this, I think, is that we get to look at what a smart take on the effects of these technologies on our interpersonal worlds and interactions was. 10 years ago, or more 13 years and now ago.
1: Oh, 13 years ago. Now I can't do math. I'm it's, an English major, absolutely. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we can look at a smart take on technology. What it looked like then? And we can, and I think that's what we're going to be doing in this episode. Uh, we'll be thinking about um, uh, what has been the progress or development or evolution of technology and its relation to human emotion. Uh, and human relationships uh, in the in subsequent years as well. So we'll be looking back, and also, uh, no doubt, uh, returning to dipping our feet and thinking about not dipping our feet. Let's get rid of that. Uh, we'll be thinking about the present present conditions in terms of, I guess, the technological human interface. That's probably the best best way to put it. Can I add something about Turkle? Absolutely. Absolutely. Ask, uh, before we, um, before we continue, uh, you mentioned her, her bio. So I was reading a little bit about her and I, and she talks about this a little bit in the book. Um, it's interesting that, well, first off this idea of how the inter how interacting with technology in particular, Interacting with computers, and then later on, I guess in her career, AI mm-hmm. forms of artificial intelligence. That's her specific area. That's her specific research area. But what also interested me is that she has psycho, and not just psychological training, but psychoanalytic training. Mm-hmm. And in particular, she's interested in the theories. though so he's you know kind of in. Odd relationship to Freudian psychoanalysis, but another interest of her intellectual interest from her, or part of her intellectual background, is the psychologist um, Jean Piaget. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the things that Piaget brings to the psychological table, to a psychological study, is this idea that um, as we interact in our infancy, uh with objects in the world. It's inflected by I was about to say a friend of the program, but we'll we'll end up with a dark web, Martin, Martin Heidegger, but right. <laughs> uh, so I, I won't call him a friend of the program, but uh but you know what I mean. But it's inflected by Heidegger in the sense that um uh Piaget believed that in of course it's kind of a merger of Freud and Heidegger in that um Human relationships with objects in the world is kind of crucial for constituting human subjectivity. And the Freudian bit of that, of course, is that those object relations that we have in our infancy, infancy are, um, you know, they're crucial in in terms of our mental development. And this is interesting. Now, now flash forward, fast forward here. So thinking about what Turkle's done, it's just interesting to think of where she was and where she went to or where where she's been and where she's going. Um, So basically, she's trying to answer that question of, she's trying to answer the question of, how has human psychology changed? Because uh, she's, she's asking at least two different and really interesting research questions. The first one would be something like this: How has human psychology changed now that the mass of the human race, a lot of people in the human race, are interacting on a daily level with objects, with intelligent objects, with the computer, with things like that? And then, of course, the second question that you can imagine, you know, uh, intrigues her an interest and interests her, and it explains. Why so much of her ethnography in the book uh, has to do with children is that she she agrees and she she senses and she I'm sure is proven in her studies that uh, children who grow up with sentient intelligent you know sentient objects in their lives are going to have a different kind of mental capacity emotional world affective life than adult you know adults who encountered these sentient objects so i i just wanted to add this kind of flavor i think it's an interesting flavor and in, uh uh in turkel's writing the where her intellectual background and how she came to this particular topic i think is just sort of interesting i hope it was i hope it's somewhat interesting to our listeners but anyway as a sort I, of frame for where we're going
0: yeah no i think so and i gotta say just as a sort of a I'm a, I'm a huge fan of this woman. Everything she writes is just so interesting. You know what, Michael? You know what that reveals about you, though? Probably something. What? I think that reveals about you. Yeah, I mean, because
1: I... And, and I I think this is really, really... Uh, it's kind of terrifying. Uh, no, 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 no. This is not a dig. And this is just... Show, I think you're... She's a kind of tender-hearted writer. You're a kind of tender-hearted guy. I could say this is on Zoom. This is not so... This is... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what people think when they think of me. I think
0: there is a tender-hearted yeah. guy. So,
1: I mean, he's she's a very she's humanistic uh, a thinker. She's concerned with empathy, and she herself is really shows a lot of empathy to her subjects and her inquiries. Well, I think and, I, so. I think you. that's what you respond to, Ernie.
0: Thank you. I'll 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 take that as a as a compliment. I think yeah. that's an interesting point of entry for us, to be honest with you, because let's do it. Let's one, and one, you know, so let's one, enter
1: this text here. I one of her concerns,
0: right. Yeah. Is, is, is about sort of what the value of empathy or just emotional mm-hmm. available, like what, what, what constitutes legitimate emotional, mm-hmm. a, a legitimate emotion and, 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 you know, what the real value of that is in practice. So um, yeah, I, I think let's, let's, let's jump in both feet. Well, and what you just said, I mean, I think we've
1: already commenced because what you just said strikes strikes me. You just described kind of a central pattern in the book. Um, there's a lot of her. I mean, she does research. Uh, we hear a lot of narrative cases and that that's what constitutes the stuff in this book. She she talks about her her findings and she tells case histories. Right. I, that's mm-hmm. a good description. And it seems that a lot of the case histories were reread. Full disclosure, we didn't read all the book. We, we were kind of cherry picking. But I think in what we read, um, there seemed to be a kind of constant. There seemed to be a narrative. And I'm going to try to describe a narrative. And you tell me if I'm describing it right, Michael. Um, there's a kind of narrative where she is Asking, as you said, this question about how techno how we emotionally interact. What's our emotional interaction with technology? Uh, and it seems like there's this kind of re- repeating narrative structure in the book. Warm-hearted, empathetic Sherry Turkle will be thinking, "Well, robots—they're cool, um, but they're a supplement." They're a substitute or a supplement or some subsidiary work, secondary to the human. They're um, an artificial friend can only be a substitute for a human friend. It, that's that's all they can be. And when I say there's a narrative structure, it seems like there's always someone, usually in robotics, who's pushing back against this kind of common sense view, saying, "What are you saying?" why are you assuming that robots aren't on the equal level with a human um what do you mean that robots uh, or or that robots can't feel what do you mean that the human emotion with a robot is somehow subsidiary or secondary or derivative of a more primary affection that humans feel for other humans um you have to rethink your conception. So that's what I mean by narrative structure. She's always sort of going into these stories and going into these cases and thinking that the technology will always be a supplement or substitute, and then somebody pushes back.
0: Yeah, let me, I think maybe it's probably, we're probably late to do this, but I think it's important to sort of identify the central argument here, as I understand it, right? So she's called the book Alone Together Mm -hmm. and the argument Uh, as I understand it, is that with the advent and proliferation of networked devices, cell phones, computers, uh, et cetera, we are now more than at any other point in time connected. But her argument is that the more... Heavily connected, the more mediated these connections are, perversely, the more isolated we become. Right. That the promise of increased productivity, increased access, increased ability, the, the increases that digital technologies afford us uh, promise, you know, all sorts of things, but the dark side of this as she sees it as a dark side. Mm-hmm. And this is where that, I think the the emotive aspect of robotics comes in, um, is that we don't, it's, it's almost like because we have so many possibilities for for connection, we instinctively seek to shield ourselves from the access that others have to us, thereby creating this sort of emotional vacuum. And then the question is, how do we, address that vacuum how do we cope and so the term that kept coming to my mind as i was reading this was the pharmacon right like because what she's seeing is that for all the promise that technology offers we become alien increasingly alienated Alienated. and the answer to how do we address that alienation how do we soothe that loneliness is more technology Right. Mm-hmm. Because, well, mm-hmm. we can create a robot for you and we can create a robot that more accurately mimics appropriate emotional responses or that is present when, you know, that is a physical presence when you can't be, but it is an animated physical presence. So it's it's like the, the one of the things that she said that I think was interesting was like these technologies really shine a light on how much we're willing to allow ourselves to believe you know how how i i think this is a fair um paraphrase Mm -hmm. these are my take not hers that how much are we willing to allow ourselves to believe Mm -hmm. uh in terms of the emotional availability um of an algorithm is that fair
1: yeah we, we, except I, i'm a little confused it, it sounds fair but i was a little confused by what you mean by believe well so, so one of the central arguments that she... were were willing to give to technology
0: is that what well the, i think there's a tension and this is back to the emotional aspect mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of technology here mm-hmm. she's steadfast right that there is no such thing as an emotionally, as, as an emotional machine, as an, mm-hmm. robots can't have emotions, mm-hmm. um, they but but they do a very convincing job of enacting emotional responses mm-hmm. that are increasingly appropriate. And so the question then becomes: Not is this robotic friend of mine? My is is my Clara really? emotionally available to me, the question becomes, how much am I willing to let myself believe that this is authentic? So to me, one of the big tensions here is really between mimicry,
1: algorithmic Mm. mimicry, and authenticity.
0: And I think one of the questions that comes to the fore then is like, what's the value of authenticity? Because she repeatedly argues that good enough is better than nothing. And one of the things that struck me about this, and this is one good, of the things, good enough
1: that, is better than uh, let's. Pin that down for me and for the listener about how that what you just said, because I think that's the right phrase, but let's make it clear to everyone what you mean. Um, good enough is it. What was your phrase? Good enough is, is, is better than nothing. Better than so, nothing. Now, in this case, good enough is the technological
0: Yeah, so companion. If, if you'll allow me to use – because I think it's an it, it works well for my purposes, for my illustration. Okay. I, okay. I'm going to use the example of Clara from Clara and the Sun. So okay. if you didn't listen to the episodes, there's a little girl named Josie who gets a robotic companion, an artificial friend named Clara, to be her best friend, right? And – Turkle would look at this and say, well, the argument here is that is not real, it, she's not emotionally available, but she's better than total alienation okay. or total yeah. loneliness. Yeah. So it's better than nothing. But I think the other seductive aspect of this, mm-hmm. and this gets back to mm-hmm. the sort of the, the lie that we tell ourselves, or not even if it's not necessarily a lie, how much we're willing to allow ourselves to believe. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's fascinating mm-hmm. about... All of this artificial intelligence and all of these robotics that Mm -hmm. Turkle's talking about Mm -hmm. is that they are all algorithmically driven, right? This is Mm -hmm. all under the covers mathematics. It's ones and zeros. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have an implicit belief or faith in the perfectibility of mathematics, right? That, and this drove a lot of the plot in Claire and the Sun, right? That the artificial friends make better decisions there the 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 AI gets it right and if it's not getting it it doesn't currently get it right it will get it right that it will be better and so I think that part of this there's a seduction with the belief that the mathematics that underpins this even though it's not emotionally authentic Mm -hmm. because it's mathematically driven it must have the potential for perfection and i think that that mm-hmm. potential for perfection is a really effective addition to good enough with the idea that well maybe my robot isn't human but, it's but, but it, than might being be. alone. it might be but it. it also yeah. won't screw up in the ways that humans will mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. won't do these things that are outside mm-hmm. of Whatever acceptable parameters have been set, mm-hmm. and I think that we just place an implicit faith in that mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. enables us to buy in
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i and I would say that's very, very dangerous
0: I do right. I want, do,
1: yeah, I would say that's very, very dangerous because um why do
0: I think it's very very dangerous um because the algorithm's entirely external to us that's I think well, that's the reason right, why right.
1: Well, right, but I, I I also see another danger there. Let me see if I can try to articulate it. Uh, and, and we were talking a little. I'll I'll bring this in here. Uh, something that Michael and I were talking about ahead of time. I was sort of comparing. Uh, in our pre-game chat, we we were talking. I I brought up Marshall McLuhan, another friend of the program. Absolutely, St. Marshall. And and we were uh and and. Michael and I had talked about the medium is the mass age a couple of weeks ago. And McLuhan, I mean, a lot of complex and interesting ideas in that book, but the core idea, at least I think McLuhan is always repeating this idea. And I think he thinks it's as much of the core idea as the medium is the message. Um, the primary idea of McLuhan's uh, brand of media studies is that technology has changed and evolved, but it always evolves according to a sort of with an organic purpose. The purpose of technology kind of stays the same. And the purpose is to act as an extension to the physical body. And in that's, so not just to, as an, so that our technology is an extension of the human and for McLuhan in a very literal way in that it's an extension of the human body so that all are in, in one of the most interesting you know uh, eye ca- literally eye catching sections in the medium is the mass age um is is that section where we have the toe and the tire and the eye and things like this and we're 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 told that um, technology is always human scale so getting back to, so why do i think um why do i think you know there are a lot of warning signs, not in Turkle herself. Although I do want to uh, offer a little bit of a criticism of Turkle and uh, one of her arguments that you just drawn on, if I can, if I can remember it after I finish this talk. But uh, this this seems to be an important point to make. There are a lot of danger signs, not in Turkle herself, but in the stories that she tells and in the 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 historical social situation that she describes, which is our situation ten years, fifteen years back, but still recognizably our situation, our the particular way we relate to um, internet, to the internet, and to computer technologies, and now to AI, is that there and, and it deals directly with what you were saying, this idea of perfectibility. Um, so gone is the McLuhan idea that technology is an extension of the human, quite literally an extension of our bodies. Um, More and more, when we we talk about technology, we're imagining technologies that will replace the human. And I won't even go to AI. I won't even go to Clara and Clara and the Sun. I'll just talk about the internet because this is, as you mentioned, one of the primary examples this is many of the examples that she gives in the book it's just the homely example and to us the very familiar example of someone who is um i can't remember the the gentleman's name but there is a there is an english gentleman that she one of the case studies where he was saying you know i i go home i i'm on a holiday i go in my room I'm on, I'm on my computer 10 hours a day. I have to go out and have dinner with my family. Mm-hmm. That sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, in a way, the internet, you don't need AI. You don't need the bells and whistles. All you need is this idea of a connection. Uh, but the the internet isn't just an extension of the human in the way that MacLune was talking about. Uh, the internet is a the internet and the, and the artificial companionship of the network that is afforded by the internet um, is more and more understood as a superior substitute, not just mm-hmm. a substitute even, but a superior substitute, one that's more fitted to my needs. more indiv- so in a sense more user friendly to use you know to use the own term, right? Right. So that strikes me as a danger. Is that we're talking no, in fact, we're, we're not, I, I think there is actually a double uh, a double whammy that's going on here. It's not that just we're no longer talking to, in Turkle's world, we're not, it's not just that we're no longer talking about technology as an extension. It's we're also not even talking about technology as a substitute. Where most of the times, and I'm not even, like I said, I'm not even getting to AI. Uh, But most of the times, the valences in which uh, in the context, when we talk about technology, we're no longer in the McLuhan-esque world of it's an extension of the human or it's an amplification of the human.
0: It's an improvement on the human. In particular, it's an improvement on the family. I have a question for you about that, though, because it's interesting here. When you say that the, the technology becomes a superior substitute. Yeah. I want to know what exact, how do you want superior in what way? Because my read of this isn't that it's a better family. It is simply a more manageable, controllable fit. So the idea that it's still, in a way, I read this as being, well, it's good enough, but it is good enough all the time, which makes it
1: superior. Right. right. Well, Oh well, I'm I'm glad you asked that question. Let me clarify. Uh, no, I don't mean superior in any ontological sense or any mm-hmm. value sense. What I'm saying is, for the person who prefers staying in the chat room to having dinner with their family, it's not that that's and and certainly Turkle isn't implying that that's a superior relationship to the family relationship. But it it is a superior. I'm using I use superior in a very very limited sense. And that is the sense that we prefer.
0: So let me ask you a question about this. I'm curious as to your answer here because for me, one of the really fascinating tensions that came out of this was between our perceptions of authenticity or was around our perceptions of authenticity. And to me, this gets at that question, right? Where, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. she like I I thought about, for example, um, she wrote a different article. I can't, I can't recall. name that we read this in one of my classes where you talk about sort of what was her term for it It it's about dating and dating apps and interactions and how this is much more recent than than this book but how we are able to it's like stress-free dating interaction like you can interact with somebody without their knowledge if you want to swipe one way and disregard them so the human and i put human in quotes here interactions are now fully disposable, right? Right. Like the legitimate, the authentic nature of the discussions you're going to have. So you think back to 2010, you go back even a few years before she had talked about uh, chat rooms in AOL, for example, there was the big question. when I remember when this was a thing where people would, you know, quite literally get on and pretend to be somebody they weren't. Sure, sure. And so you'd have this deep emotive interaction with somebody Who you thought was one thing, and they're something very, very, very removed Mm -hmm. from that. Mm -hmm. It's like we're willing to do that and not care. So, what's the value of authenticity here? Like, is that's it? Is is there one? Like, do we care uh, if some? Because there's so much, there's so mm -hmm. much dialogue in the world and rhetoric about whether something's real or fake or authentic. But it seems like when when you know you push comes to shove, it's we don't really care.
1: I think, well, first off, I think you answer your own question. I I do think, and I think Turkle's evidence, her case studies kind of show this, that over and over again, either Turkle or the persons around her that she's interviewing, uh, or the the, the story she recounts, they they invoke authenticity, but then they they basically say, I'll settle. I'll settle. I'll but use you, that's what I think- mean.
0: Yeah. I think from Turkle's position, if she's, and I, so Mm -hmm. I did something similar to this recently with my students and I asked them a question. I just asked them, I said, you know, Mm -hmm. I was struggling with uh, the fact that a lot of my students spent the majority of their time in class with their faces and their phones. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: then they would submit work that was just very far afield from what it was supposed to be not mm-hmm. cuz they're not capable of doing the work but because they simply weren't present they weren't attentive to what was going on mm-hmm. and so they're not responding uh, appropriately we'll say and mm-hmm. so you know we read this 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 article this different this other article on turkle the name of it escapes me right now um mm-hmm. and it was about attention again and sort of the disposable nature of interaction much mm-hmm. in line with this obviously and i asked them i was like does your phone make you a better person like do you feel that this is helping you. And in, mm-hmm. I'm in, I, I like, the answer is you're, get, the, you're not going to gain or lose points based on your response. I'm just genuinely curious for you to explain how you feel it does or doesn't help you. And it was interesting because I think on a micro level, they're all like, yes, this makes me better because I can do all these things. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, yes, but all the things that you're arguing that you can do are very clearly getting in your way in this space. Now, I have an agenda here, right? Like I want my space with them to Mm -hmm. be productive and I want them to do what they're supposed to Mm -hmm. do. But I'm wondering if Turkle's not operating at a similar remove where, Hmm. you know, she has this perspective like, okay, um, you know, you say that authenticity matters, but then I'm looking at Mm -hmm. what you're doing and from my lens, you're willing to settle. Mm
1: -hmm. I'm
0: wondering if there's a different sort of Mm -hmm. authenticity or different sort of perception of authenticity that comes into play here. From whom, though? Well, like, I guess, I don't don't know how to explain this. I I tried to explain this earlier. Like, part of my concern here is, have we become the curmudgeonly old people who are now Hmm. arguing that communication isn't what it used to be and that interpersonal relationships have suffered And the technology Mm, is killing our ability to interact when in fact it has simply changed it. And we haven't kept up.
1: Well, that's a, that's a good point. Can I, um, Hmm. hmm. You raised so many interesting things there in a row. I, I don't know where to go to, but, uh, let's address what you just said. You asked the question of are we, and by we, I don't, I think you don't just mean me and you. You mean Turkle. Is she she just being a curmudgeon? Is she being a curmudgeon? Is she being a curmudgeon and expecting us to uh, do more? Is she urging us to accept more and not to settle? Or Or is she clinging to an outmoded? Is she clinging to an outmoded? Well, I would say that um, if she is... I am as well to this extent, Um, but I wouldn't call it curmudgeonly. I would say that I'm having a standard of value, and I'll give her this benefit of a doubt, that she is judging the relationships from a standard of value. Now, that standard of value may be passe, um, depends, I guess maybe it depends what you mean by curmudgeonly. Is it curmudgeonly because nobody's going to listen to you because you're making a particular kind of moral, basically a moral critique? Um, uh, Maybe, maybe no one's going to listen to it. Is it outmoded? But, um, you know, that's not, you know, that doesn't necessarily invalidate the moral critique. No, or
0: are we not listening to you because we simply don't listen to anything anymore? Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Right.
1: So I, to me, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if the, if, if she is being a curmudgeon or if I'm being a curmudgeon, I I think that's almost it's almost irrelevant I think the real core would be, am I being a curmudgeon? Is she being a curmudgeon by the right thing? And OK, now I'm going to return to I said I had a criticism of her mm-hmm. and I'm going to deliver it after I give a praise of her. So let me let me step back a moment. So and sort of engage where 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 you very interestingly left us. Um, She's bringing a standard of value and bringing it into a new situation, a situation that she realized she's not stupid. She realizes that the technology human interface is changing and it's evolving. Uh, and she knows this is published in 2011, but she already knows that this is going to change even more radically in the years to come. Right. And, and, and of course it has. So um, she is bringing a standard of value. I think she's basically bringing in a kind of humanistic value because uh-huh. I think she doesn't want to replace the human. Um, and I think she's nervous at all these moments when technology or philosophers of technology tell her, you have to leave behind the human. We're improving the human and you have to move to this particular kind of platform because it's going to be better for you. It's better than human interaction. Um uh, she's clinging to a standard of value and saying, no, no, I think face to face communication is better than mediated communication and, or the very at the very least, it can't wholly substitute. I don't think she I don't think she would do. I think it's just Barry who might say that face to face communication is better than mediated communication. I wouldn't put that words in her mouth. I do think she feels that there is a very real danger. And I also would agree with her on this. There's a very real danger of simulacras of communication, of mediation, mediated communication becoming the whole of our communication. And Michael, I think that's what you were worried about when you see the students on the phone, right? Uh, they're not letting, the, they're not putting the phones down, which means for that moment at least, for that moment at least, they refuse to engage in another form of communication besides. Besides the phone communication, besides that that phone, they refuse to enter into another relationship besides the phone uh, laptop relationship. Right. A human relationship. Okay, so. I think she's justified in doing that. I think that's uh, um, I I think she's worried that mediated communication is going to usurp this kind of face to face communication elements of where where. And and therefore, humans are gonna lose values that I also would agree are values. What kinds of values? Spontaneity, innovation, improvisation. All these things matter in music, they matter in human relationships too. And usually, improvisation, and in fact, this is the famous thing about improvisation, this is what Miles Davis learned in the famous Quintet, is what Herbie Hancock has this great story about uh, about being a quick digression with Herbie Hancock, because it will get me back to, it'll get me, I, I promise to get back to sh- Turkle. Um, One of the great things about, uh, this is proof that Miles Davis was an improvising genius. During the, in the quintet, Herbie Hancock has this great story. He's playing in the quintet. He plays a bad note. He plays a bum note, he plays a bum note. And then Herbie Hancock looks very nervously at Miles Davis for obvious reasons, thinking, He's going to kick me out of the band. And then, of course, he. at first he thought, Herbie Hancock thinks, oh, maybe Miles didn't hear. It. Of course Miles heard it. He put his trumpet down. He looks at him and he, you know, is giving him the Miles Davis stare. But and, and then Herbie just kept on playing and he said, oh, my God, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm probably going to get fired. Then 10 seconds. Miles is all of a sudden playing in a different key. And then it, it took five minutes later. Took ten minutes, five minutes, ten minutes later in the improvisation. And then Herbie figured out what happened. Miles heard the mistake, didn't expect it, mm-hmm. made a correction, and then turned the mistake into the building block for new building blocks for new improvisation. So I mentioned this because I mean. you know, when we talk about the differences between human communication or direct communication and mediated communication, um, that sounds really abstract. But I mean, that story, uh, and when you think about musical performance, you can really see, I mean, these things, these things matter. If you have something that is totally algorithm, what you lose is improvisation. And what what you lose is the possibility of failure. Mm -hmm. But Failure is a building block of improvisation and innovation. Okay, so I like this part of Turkle. Now, let me, because I've been talking too long, let me mention my critique. But it also has to do with what you're saying, which you said earlier. Um, You know, there are points in Turkle where she is talking about, um, what was the example you gave about imitation, that we imitate something, Michael? Because that's what I want to return to. You remember remember. this earlier, you were saying something, there was something that we, you know, we, we see this and we want to imitate it. And she doesn't like that. I can't remember your specific example. It's okay. Let me, let me give my general charge. Maybe we'll think about the specific example that prompted it. Um, I'll talk about, I'll, I'll give my criticism of the structure of a lot of Turkle's arguments. And here's the structure. A lot of times she will note that humans will, and I think we were talking about this in relation to humans settling for the technological simulacra, right? And Mm -hmm. settling for it. And she's irked by that. Um, Here's the problem with that. We are all imitation. Everything about us is imitation. Mm -hmm. If you say, I'm going to save the human, but you know, there, I want to save a human who does more than imitates machines or, or rather, I think I remember the example now, I think we're talking about these, the examples of computers. I think you were talking about the example of computers or technology that imitates us because they imitate us, they improve. Right. right. And she's saying, well, that, that improvement is not real improvement got a real problem with that, okay. because I think I think the, the real problem that I have it not I have a problem with her. I have I have I guess I have a complaint about the human species. What do we do without imitation? Everything we do is we're imitating something, whether it's language, whether it's music, whether it's dialogue, whether it's whatever, mm-hmm. any kind of learning, any kind of initiation process requires imitation of a model. And in a way, she kind of wants to break through break out of the the stalemate of the human technology stalemate. She kind of wants to break on through by saying, well, humans are more than what
0: they imitate. But so I think I, I, th- I think I think that's fair. Then the question I think I would ask you is where does the dis- and this is this is a philosophical question here, right? But where would you then place the distinction between, like, when does the algorithm
1: mm-hmm.
0: overlap the human? And her answer to that mm-hmm. seemed to be mm-hmm. the awareness that you are a part of a life cycle and that you will die. Yes. And that you Death, will end. Right, 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 And that you're... And so in a way, to go back to the imitation, right, the awareness that there is a finish line, there is an end point Mm -hmm. will prompt you in theory to at some point do more than imitate, to evolve from that imitation, much like your jazz uh, example, right? Like, okay, so we're good. We're good. Oh, here's the glitch in the machine. Now let's imitate it. Now now we have to play with, we have to do something new as opposed to correct it. And right. so, you know, th- this to me gets me back to the question again of uh, emotional authenticity. And her argument about that is mm-hmm. that machines are unable to do that because mm-hmm. it's it's all math, right? That they're but we're
1: just... not able to. Okay, you hit it. I don't think we're able to do it either. That's the problem. That's How's why so- we're in a stalemate. Re- okay, you got it. I don't think I, I wouldn't know an authentic emotion if it hit me.
0: And I don't think you would either.
1: That's the problem. That's our human problem.
0: So this this gets us to the Turing test, right? This idea exactly about being right. fooled. Right,
1: right, right, right. So does so it that's matter? My that's my problem. That's my problem, and that's my problem. That's our problem. That's Turkle's problem. She wants us to come up with an authentic thing that's going to deliver us from the machine. I'm with her on all her critiques of how we're deifying or or putting too much emphasis on technology. I'm with her on this idea that it's a dangerous thing to to only go to be sufficiently, t- to find all mediation all the time, a sufficient way to be human. I'm with her. But then she says, I want us to be authentic. And you know, eventually we'll get to the authentic and Mr. Robot or Ms. Robot or them robot will not be able to get the authentic. Not so fast there, Cher. I don't think I don't think that's possible for the very simple reason I can't get there and you can't get there either. Well, see, and I think our listeners
0: can't. Now, this is fascinating because this also gets us but like she starts it out with the discussion about going to the nature exhibit where they had the tortoises from the Galapagos sure, 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 who just right. sat there. And her daughter says, oh, Man, yeah. they should have just used robots, right? Robots would be more interesting. More- I agree with her. This is my point. I agree with the kid. I agree with her daughter. So this gets us to admittedly the creepiest thing that I've read recently, <laughs> which was her discussion about an interview that was done with a hmm. reporter regarding sex with robots. Right? We were gonna get here no matter what. <laughs> like. had to but now we know we're at and, the end of the podcast, you know, everyone. <laughs> so yeah, thanks. Th- thanks for listening. Um and you know, she's she's opposed to it because it's not emotionally
1: exactly what like i feel so uncomfortable well but wait a minute wait a minute wait i haven't so i haven't read this article this is uh, this is not meant to be a prurian question it's just nor am i trying to slam her but on what basis doesn't she have to say that there's a kind of unique human love or a
0: human motion well i think that's what she's going for right and i don't know that it's unique and this is what this is what gets complicated i don't think it's a unique human love i think the argument or a unique human emotion i think the argument is that artificial intelligence or robots Mm -hmm. simply aren't capable of any sort Of of emotion that they are and this is okay. And this okay, is where, all right, all right,
1: all right. So this, this so is where, where I have problems because an authentic emotion. So again, we're, you're postulating, she's postulating, right? That I have an authentic emotion and you have an authentic emotion and robots aren't even capable of emotion. They're just sort of the of emotion. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: And that's, that's the opposition, right? Like, that's why this is sort of a creepy thing mm-hmm. because it's not. There's, there's, you can't have an emotional connection. And then this gets the question well, if I think I connected with something, right? Can you tell me I'm wrong because it was a toaster the whole time? And, and, you know, I guess, I guess I'm at this point, at that point,
1: I think that she can't. I think that person who brings up that objection, Michael, tell me, I'm, tell me I'm wrong, but that person who brings up that objection, but I feel that way. I remember that passage in the book, one passage in the book where she says, Well, feelings aren't enough. That's true. That's true. In ter- certainly, in terms of if we're doing moral and philosophy, I can certainly see that, you know, I can see an objection being made to me basing my things, uh, basing my actions on my feelings. I totally get that. But if that person does have that moment of connection, i don't know and it's a simulacra of of uh of um it's, you know if if the if the objection to that is oh no it's not the real thing it's just it just looks that way. i don't know i don't know i i i i sympathize with the uh with the cynic i don't know or the cynic whether you call them the cynic or the realist who just says well it looks that way to me i don't know if turquois has an objection to that
0: See, I think what's fascinating about this to try and sort of find shore here, right? Yeah. What's fascinating about this is if you extend this argument just a little bit, right? Well, what constitutes an authentic emotion? Well, what constitutes um, you know, a a a, a quote unquote legitimate connection? We get into really, really murky waters. That's with, what I think. What our technologies are doing. And so to go back to McLuhan again, and this mm-hmm. is the I, buckle up. I mean, we're making some sharp turns here, but okay. Right? All right. If McLuhan argued that the medium is the mass age or the medium is the message, if the medium is now artificial intelligence mm-hmm. or the medium is robotics with a, you know, just technologies that, let me, let me reset if the medium now are technologies with which we can have interactions that appear to be meaningful, right? right? We're really hinging on this question of what's real mm-hmm. in some sort of undefined way. Like I still haven't got a clear handle on what constitutes the real, exactly. because you need a third party for this now, right? I think right? You do, right, um, right. Because I feel it's real, my toaster is not telling me that it's not real. So now who gets to be the arbiter of authenticity exactly. in this? Not
1: Sherry Turkle. That, so, you, so you said wh- much more compactly. You said much more compactly what I was trying to say a couple of moments ago. So I just wanted to underscore it. What you said right there is what I was struggling to say a couple minutes ago, which is just simply that. Turkle gets in mur- very muddy, murky waters. That was the term you used. She gets in murky waters when she has to make these claims that, um, that oh, no, no, no. This is real. Not not what you think
0: it is. But now, here's is here's real. a question for you. Here's a question for and you.
1: And you need a third person, exactly as you said. So I am just I just wanted to underscore that because you now, said it so much be more beautifully f- than I did. Yeah. But to
0: be fair to okay. Miss Turkle, because I, yeah. again, I'm a fan.
1: I thought you were going to go to McLuhan, or don't you want to go to? That? Well,
0: what? Okay, so if the medium is the message, yes, sir. Right. What? And and this is this this is the medium. Yeah. Right. I'm, re- and this is not a quick answer here, but you know, you've said okay. So pr- prior to this technological leap that we're sort of in the middle of now, mm-hmm. technologies were an extension.
1: Mm-hmm. More right? clueless. thing now. Yeah, te-
0: yes. Now, technologies are a substitution, which is both ubiquitous, Indeed. oftentimes inferior in terms but of convenient. Often convenient, but, but because of its incredible convenience, it's preferable. Yeah, right, right. So, it, it, like, what is the what's the takeaway from that? And then to to sort of follow hmm. that up. Mm -hmm. Turkle writes this in 2011. Mm -hmm. Here we are on the dawn of 24. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I really wonder how she would write this now. You know, would she still, because I I don't think that, you you know, you and I are the first to ask these questions. And I don't think that you and I are the first to look at this work. Yes, we are. (laughs) Obviously. Um, Clearly we should have recorded this two days ago and then we could have been the first ones to do it this year um (laughs) but but you know it's 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 an interesting question i think to think about well what would she say now because this was still fairly primitive
1: sure And and now the artificial the robotic intelligence the artificial intelligence that she was describing in fairly nascent stages yes actually uh now is really 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 advanced so
0: Do you want to answer your question? Your question's
1: fascinating. I don't have
0: an answer for my question. I was hoping that like, I, I, you know, what's the message? I think that, you know, alone together, I think that the the message is that we are uh, grasping and drowning. Uh, And I think that we're satisfied to grasp and drown because there's new shiny objects to grasp for. Uh, And I don't think that we feel that drowning is ultimately all that bad.
1: Right.
0: Um. Okay. That sounds. Uh, God, that sounds wickedly uh, cynical. No, 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 it sounds w- wickedly C- what? Cynical.
1: Well, I I don't know. I I feel that we're approaching closure here. Do I have a okay? If we're approaching closure, let me let me return to what you said, and I'll, I'll say two things and try to keep it brief. You're asking the question about what would Turkle say. I think Turkle, um well, what would Turkle say of our particular predicament? Um, I, th- I think you you answered it. I, I think your description of the I mean, what you called the cynical description of the current reality, um uh, that we seem even more subservient or more complacent about the technologi- technologization of everything. Um I, I, I don't see her. I don't see any way of avoiding that particular kind of conclusion. Now um, I want to end though with a kind of defensive. That sounds like um, she was sort of holding up her hands in 2011 saying, please stop this train. And now she would have to admit the train has, you know, gone even further down the tracks and uh, Sherry Turkle is a failure and we're all failures. Um, so and maybe that's why you were calling what you said cynical. But I, I, I'll mention a positive thing uh, here that I think that Turkle was already sort of articulating in 2011, and uh, it's weak. It's you know it's it's literally it's not a strong thing. She's not confident in this claim, but it is her closing claim. She really believes that it's possible for humans to opt out of certain situations Mm -hmm. now. Certainly in the last 15 years, we've seen very, very little opting out, but I would say and my conclusion here, but I would say that the opting out that she was pointing to in 2011. Is still possible in 2024. am I am i advocating a complete media fast no would i think do i think it's a good idea for everyone to put down their devices especially in certain situations yes 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 i do so far it's not illegal to do that and i think the only way and okay, so I guess I am positively not just in Turkle, but actually I kind of want to bring back uh, Marshall McLuhan. I do think that um, a way to go forward, and I think Turkle would find this somewhat sympathetic. Um, I've been arguing throughout, and I think we've been arguing throughout that we've sort of moved past the McLuhan-esque paradigm where technology is a mere extension of our bodies and a mere extension of the human, and that we moved into some other realm. I would think that a recovery of the old world McLuhan, this idea that human hu- that technology has to be human-sized, um, I, I don't know, I think that's still, impor- that's still an important message.
0: See, I want to and Insofar in so
1: far as one. Can, now, am I saying let's blow up the Internet? No. Uh, am I even going to get rid of my laptop? No, I'm not. Am I going to get rid of Spotify? I don't really feel the need to. But am I going to question how I use it? Am I going to question how much?
0: It, yeah, I should. If I don't, I should. But so, again, we're talking about sort of one sided value judgments here. I mean, what I think is interesting is in 2011, she's saying, you know, There is now this uprising of resistance and people are trying to opt out and kids are saying, I just want real conversations. I mean, she makes the argument at the end of the book that there is a pushback against the youth or by the youth against the technologies for some sort of more human centric interaction. Have you seen that though? Well, I hear it you hear about a lot of people who are going to quit Facebook and you'll look at these people and they'll say, no, they will. They'll say, I don't have Facebook as they bury their head in their phone for. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. With something else. Yeah. And, and so I, 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 no, no, that is my point. I just, I think that like, it's, it's, it's like the, 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 I mean, I don't mean to sound overly dramatic here, but it's, it's, it's like the cancer that's just taken hold.
1: Well, I, no, I, 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 I don't think that's it. I don't think you're exaggerating that, and and that's what I'm saying. You know what I'm talking about is a solution. Is a very weak solution. Turkle solution is weak, but I think that's all you have. That's all I have, and I think yeah. that's all we collectively have. Um, I do think the situation is dire, but it it de- but it's not dire enough that you can't make changes in your own life when you feel you need them. Well, so, so- and I think that that's our only. I mean, that's that that's the bright. That's the bright light. If you're saying, "Well, that's not very bright," <laughs> well, is it, is that? The I, I don't light think or is... it is very bright. I don't think it is. I think that's realistic.
0: I mean, realistically, yeah. it's not very bright, but it. I think it's all we got. Is it that, or do we just hope that maybe falling in love? I don't know, This must say something about me because love. everything I'm talking about is a kitchen. Are we going to
1: go back to the robot sex again?
0: Yes, but no. Like just the emotional connection. Like, does it need to be authentic to matter? I wonder if maybe we're just, um, you know, you and I are just stuck in 2011, um, yelling at all the.
1: I don't need. Like, does but, it matter? But, well, I'll tell you what does matter. Let Let's uh, Let's bracket off love for a moment. I think it does matter where, and and maybe it doesn't matter in the cosmic sense, but my ability to pay attention to things matters a whole F of a lot, a whole lot
0: to me. That's true.
1: Okay, so let's bracket off whether or not that's authentic or whether love is more authentic. So this is
0: about attention.
1: I think this is fundamentally about mental states and cognitive states and not just emotional states. But uh but cognitive states and it's about attention. And I think if I lose the quality of my attention, I lose what matters to me. And so I, I mean, I don't have to make it to be this be a conversation about love for me to get very passionate about it, for mm-hmm. me to to feel there's something really at stake.
0: I think something worth right. defending. Something that, worth defending. I don't mean to be flippant. That feels right to me. It feels right to you. <laughs> <So>. I'm sure
1: <laughs> oh, oh, it feels
0: right to you. Falk. <laughs> <laughs> so it must be right.
1: Are we, are we good? No, think, no, no, we're I think, not good. I think of course I, we're not good. All right. Barry <laughs> with deep feeling. I thank you for an interesting conversation with deep, with deep authentic love. Michael, I sign off. Tonight. I
0: sign off, Barry. <laughs> All right. Have Let's a good, have Michael. a good, we'll,
1: we'll, we'll do, this again, right. <laughs> we'll do this again soon. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the critical media studies podcast. To find out more about the show, check out our webpage at criticalmediastudiespodcast.com.